Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. We've been in a series called Ripe. We started this last week. Uh, What we're talking about is the fact that Scripture shows us, especially in the Gospels, uh, Jesus refers to anybody who will believe that he is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, he who hung on a cross for the sins of all humankind, past, present, and future, ours, the person beside you, and anyone who would believe that he hung on that cross, and when we believe that, that we also believe that he rose from the dead, and as a result, we begin to die to ourselves, die to the humanness, die to the, to the sin cycles, die to the flaws and the cracks and the wounds that make us up, and Jesus heals those, and then as a result, we follow him into new maturity, we follow him into ripeness. And if you think about that, you know, as Jesus walking through the supermarket, he is looking for fruit that is ready to go. It's ready for use. It's ready for display. And so that's what this series is about. Last week, we looked at the, the aspect of joy and the fact that uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. And we dove right into that aspect of what does it mean to have the attitude and action of a ripened Christ follower and have joy when everything around us seems to be falling apart, seems to be struggling, seems to be cracked, seems to be busted. How do we be people who have that kind of joy? And we saw last week that God has put that capacity in us to have joy no matter what the circumstances are, but he's also given us the decision to choose that joy or not. And so last week we talked about what does it mean then to choose joy, to be a person ripening in joy. We saw that that means essentially believing that God is ultimately in control and therefore everything's gonna be all right. Maybe not all right the way we think they should be, but all right the way God thinks they should be, therefore all right the way they should be. And therefore, my response to that and your response to that is to trust and to thank him. And that's a part of what we did today. You know, as we sang these songs, as we gathered together, we are thanking God in those lyrics and in those songs and in that poetry. We are thanking him for what he's doing in our lives. Today, I want to talk about another aspect of the fruit of the Spirit if you're wondering where that passage is, it's in Galatians 5. It kind of just you know, spells those fruit out, you know, the actions and attitude. We're going to look today at the aspect of patience. Patience or in some long-suffering or forbearance. What does that mean? It means to, to hang in there, if you will. But in context today, patience is trusting God. If you're a note taker, write this down. Trusting God's love his wisdom, and his timeline. What does that mean? It means that I'm gonna be patient knowing that God's character is love. Like whatever's happening in this relationship, whatever's happening in this circumstance, I can trust God's character, that he is for me, that he is for that person, that he is for us and not against us. And that all the things, the pain and the struggle around me is not God trying to get at me, not because he's angry at me, but because he loves me, and he loves me so much that he would give his son Jesus to die on a cross for my sins and to redeem and transform me. Also, it's 
trusting God's wisdom, that he knows what the deal is, that he knows better how to deal with relationships, how to deal with the calling of our life, how to deal with the path that we're on. He knows, and if we will trust his wisdom, even when it doesn't make sense, even in the fog of life, and be patient with that, and be long-suffering through that, then what? Then we will accept his timeline. That he has a win, he has a how, and he has a why that things are supposed to take place. And if we trust God in all those things, then we begin to flourish in this thing called patience. And that is hanging in there and being ripened with this sense of love, wisdom, and knowing that God is going to bring to fruition whatever it is in that relationship, in that calling, or in life, the way he sees fit. And we're going to look at that today. I want us to look specifically at patience through the lens of a vision or a dream that God has put in your life and mine. I was at uh, Mr., um, not, not Mr. Goody's, the other trailer, uh, ice cream place. What is it? Uh, Monkey Joe's. I think they're in con- competition with each other. There might be a little tension going on there. Uh, it, those of you who are, are maybe new to, uh, to Lynchburg, uh, there's these little trailers that, that pop up everywhere that, that serve soft serve and, and you know, just Hershey's ice cream and sort of thing. I was at Monkey Joe's last night with my two sons, eight and 10 years old. And my oldest son, uh, you know, he's sitting there eating his uh, mint chocolate chip on a cake cone. And, you know, he's kind of, you know, just, you know, going to work on that. And, and he says, I think I, want, I know what I want to do with my life. So, you know, I know there's a lot of students back. If you're, if you're trying to figure out your, your major, if you're trying to figure out what you want to do with your life, go to Monkey Joe's. There's something going on there. It'll just get worked out for you. So anyway, he, he knows what he wants to do with his life, you know, there at the Monkey Joe's. And I said, what do you want to do? And he says, I want to be on the dream team. Okay. I said, like, okay, well, let's talk that out a little bit. He's like, yeah, I want to be on the dream team. I said, like, well, do you know what that, that means? He's like, yeah, I got to practice and I got to play basketball really, really well. And I was like, yeah, I mean, not only that, but you got to be in the NBA. Like, that's, that's, a, that's a big, that's an exclusive group of people. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And I said, well, not only do you have to be in the NBA, but you have to be the best of the best of the best of the NBA. Like, like there's only like one of 15, like you have to be one of 15 guys in the NBA that, that, you know, basically the best in the world. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know, it's going to be a lot of practice and a lot of struggle. There's a phrase that we say in my house, especially to my boys, you know, I just always want them to know that they have what it takes. And so we'll say that from time to time, you know, like you have what it takes, you have what it takes. And so there was that pause there where he was waiting on me to say it. I'm, I'm serious. He's like, you know, go ahead and tell me. I'm going to be on the dream team, Dad. Like, um, and I, I, I wasn't quite ready to say it. And so he said, you want to tell me I have what it takes, right? I said, like, yeah, you have what it takes, man. But, you know, there was that moment of kind of doubt. There was that moment where I'm just like, man, you know, do you crush a 10-year-old's? I mean, he's already a redhead. I mean, he's already, you know, he's already dealing with that. You know, Sorry. So, I mean, do you just say, hey, man, I don't know, man, that's a big dream. 
I mean, they call it the dream team for a reason, you know, I, I, but, or do you just go, yeah, man, you got it. You got what it takes. Well, I, I you know, we'll see, but I'm going to tell you this as a dad, I'm going to do whatever it takes to help him accomplish that dream or help him fulfill whatever dream it is that God has for his life. You know, when we're eight, nine, 10 years old, you know, we do have these, what we think of as childish dreams for our life and Somewhere along the line, you know, God reshapes it or maybe enhances it and makes it even more clear. Uh, you know, I wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted to be a filmmaker. You know, I, there, there were these things, these phases I went through. And, you know, I, I studied to be a teacher and then God called me to ministry. Uh, and I feel that God has me in that dream and that vision. We all have dreams. We all have visions for our life. I believe that God has implanted there. Now, I want to recognize that not everybody here today uh, believes that you know that the that that Christ is that Jesus is the Christ that He is the Messiah. You're still curious, maybe a little bit cynical about that, but you're here. Uh, some of you may have uh, gone through a big struggle in your life, and you're beginning to doubt that. I got a call from a friend of mine last night, uh, eleven o'clock at night, and uh, you know he's going through this big doubt in his life. You know, is God even real? And you know, for two hours, I'm talking to him about this. You know, that might be where you are. You know, man, I, I just, I'm doubting the whole thing. But you know what? I'm going to go to church this morning. And that's what he said. He's like, hey, he's like, you know what? I think I'm just going to go to church. I haven't been in a year, but I'm going to go to church tomorrow. And I said, man, you go to church tomorrow. I think God's got a word for you. And that might be where you are. But here's the deal. God, I believe, puts visions and dreams in our life for, for who we are for, for our families and our future families. You know, this vision of health, this vision of growth, this vision of, of what it should look like, an ideal view of the future that God puts. Maybe it is a calling in your life. God has called you to a kingdom-building path or, or something in your life where he just said, I want you to go to this place in the world and I want you to give your life there. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's to be a doctor or a teacher or or whatever, there's this calling that he's placed on you. And, and I want to talk today about what happens when that calling gets blocked. What happens when that calling gets delayed? What happens when that vision almost seems like it's about to die? Maybe that's where some of you are right now. You know, you at 10 years old say, I want to be on the dream team. And you, you started playing and practicing and you... You were working your way up the basketball hierarchy, and then all of a sudden, you know, your ankle breaks. Or all of a sudden, the competition is just too, too great, and you don't quite measure up. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a, a block in your marriage right now. Maybe there's just this thing right now that, that you and, and her, or you and him, just can't seem... To, to, to humble yourselves and, and, and own t- together or own individually and, and move past it. And you're just, you're just, you're stuck right there. And it's like, God, I know you have this vision for our marriage. I know you have this vision for our life, but we just keep, we just keep hitting this wall. That's where patience comes in. That idea of trusting God's love, trusting his wisdom, trusting his timeline, his love, meaning that he's going to come to you and speak truth in love. 
He loves you so much that he's going to come to you with some things that need to change in your life. Wisdom. He's going to come to you with a, a knowledge or a truth that, that's going to blow your mind. You may have heard it a million times before, but all of a sudden it just makes sense to you in that moment. And he's going to come to you with a reminder that this vision doesn't happen overnight. And you need to be patient. And you need not to move God out of the way. You need to walk right in step with him. And maybe that's where you are today. You want to be impatient. And you want to yield to your pride. But I I, I want us to see something today of what happens when we're not patient. And we don't trust God's love. We don't trust his wisdom. We don't trust his timeline with a vision and a dream that he's put in our life, our relationships our careers, our calling, whatever. Things get broken and things get stalled and things get delayed. What happens though? What happens when God comes in with his patience with us and his mercy with us and says, we can do this, but you have to participate with me. We're gonna look at the story of a guy named Moses. Many of you know the story of Moses. You've probably read uh, this story as a, as a child growing up in the church or maybe even now as an adult, or you saw the Prince of Egypt. <laughs> Got to give you that. Some of you might have even seen Charleston Heston, you know, you know, just like, oh yeah, that, that guy. The story is, of course, that 3,000 years ago, the Hebrew people who are today, you know, the nation of Israel, you know, uh, you know, the Israelis, you know, all the way through, you know, 3,000 years of history. Um, but they were called the Hebrews 3,000 years ago when they were slaves in Egypt. And, you know, historians don't know where that name came from. It, it just, you know, it, it, it's in the Bible, obviously, but, you know, where that came, comes from in a secular sense. But they were the Hebrews, the Hebrew nation, and they were enslaved to the Egyptian empire uh, that were building pyramids and building sphinx and building an empire themselves. And in the midst of this, the pharaoh of Egypt calls for a genocide of the Hebrew boys because he is threatened by their population growth. And so they're growing, growing, growing. And so he says, I need to, I need to, I need to thwart this growth. And, and so he, he, he orders that these young boys, these baby boys be killed. And of course, Moses is a part of that. But his mother, in an act of kind of last-ditch effort to save him, puts him in a basket and sends him down the Nile River. The story, of course, is that the princess of Egypt, the daughter of Pharaoh, rescues the basket, rescues the baby, and what? He grows up in the, in the arms and in the home of the Pharaoh himself. So what happens? What takes place? He grows up, and 40 years later, everything changes. God gives him something. Look at verse 11 of Exodus chapter 2. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw, stop right there, he saw something. Moses is about to see something that's going to change everything for him. He is beginning to identify with his people. Remember, he grew up in Pharaoh's home. He saw these people out in the distance working hard. He may have even walked the streets and seen them. But in this moment, things are changing for him. This is the birth of a vision. God will help you see something. 
He will put something in your path, a need, an angst, uh, uh, some would call a holy discontent. I am not okay with how things are here in this situation. Maybe it's in your marriage right now. Maybe it's in a relationship right now. Maybe it's in your job right now. I don't know, but you are seeing something that is not right or something that needs to be done. And that's exactly what's happening with Moses. He is seeing something for the first time that he has passed by countless times before, and that is the suffering of his own people. He is now identifying with them. I think that God is doing that in all of us today. I think that he has put something in our hearts and our minds, and he is saying, this is not right with the world, and I am going to resource your character. I'm going to resource your talents. I'm going to resource your strengths to do that. 14 years ago, my wife Tammy and I were newly married in this town, and we were we were just kind of forging our marriage, and we were working, and, and we were looking for a church in this city, and uh, we, we came to a point where we, we realized there's a lot of healthy churches in this city that are doing amazing things for the kingdom of God, but at that time, we just saw a need, and we had an angst for people in our sphere of influence that just weren't churchy people. You know, they just, they didn't feel at home in, in, that, in that traditional church mold, which is there's nothing wrong with it. We just had friends that who, who were just saying, yeah, I, I just, you know, I, I, I don't feel comfortable. You know, they sort of talk over my head. I don't feel welcomed and so on and so forth. It's not that they're bad people. It's just it's different. And so we started to hear, you know, this angst and this need. And, and we thought to ourselves, you know, what would happen if a church, you know, was just, hospitable and compelling and relevant to people who either had left the church or never knew anything about the church, maybe was compelled to Christ but didn't know how to get over some of the hurdles in the church to get there. And it was in that angst and that need that this church began to get formed. And that's where we are 14 years later. I got this email from from a guy uh, who's mentoring somebody right here in our church. He said, hey, I want, I, want, I, want you to, I want you to read this. This is a guy I'm, I'm mentoring. He goes, I think it'll affirm what our church is all about and what our church has always been about from the very beginning. This is what it says. It says, ever since we started our meeting, so this is a guy mentoring another guy, and he's writing his mentor He says, I've seen from the very first meeting that I was able to be real, raw, and shoot straight with you. I love that because that's our church, to be real, raw, and shoot straight with you. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. He he says, he goes on, he says, I was finally able to talk to someone who was real, who wants to help me, and who actualizes, or who actually Um, has the idea of what I always thought a church should be, but never was until I came to Brentwood. And so here's this guy who's saying, you know, I've been in and out of churches. I've been running from the church. I've been running from God. And and I just wanted to be a part of something that was real and that would, would be authentic. And he goes on and he says, you've been to me exactly what Brentwood preaches. And I love this church 
more than any other church I've ever been to. I know I'm not the only guy out there that has this, and I'd be a fool to think I was the only one to feel like I was not able to talk to someone about it. I pray that God will give you more guys that are willing to, to, to open up because they know they have confidence in people like you. Listen, that's who we are as a church. That's who we gotta be as a church. I mean, we have people who come up here who make, you know, who have their videos, their stories put on video about how they've overcome porn addictions, how they've overcome eating disorders, how they've, you know, as they go out to, to, to be baptized, they said, this was my, you know, my life before Christ and it was broken and, and, and because of Christ it got fixed and, and now I'm a part of this church and I'm going public. That's who we are. Real, raw, and straight. And man, that is not easy. Because that means we have to set aside our pride. That means we have to set aside this illusion that we've got everything together and we've got to live in that vulnerability. And you know, when I think about Moses and that vision that God gave his life, it was going to be a tough road for him. In fact, look what it says. It says, this is what he saw, an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. I mean, this gave, I mean, this created angst and anger. In, and, and right then and there, Moses knew what he was going to do with his life. I'm going to set my people free. God had given birth to a vision in his life. But listen, we got to catch this. You got to catch this. God will give you a vision, a dream for your life, for your marriage, for your calling, for your career, all of those things. I believe that. But there can be a moment where a God-birthed vision moves God out of the way. I want to say that again. There, There is a vision that God has given to your marriage, to your career, to your calling. He planted it in you. He planted it in me. He put the need there, the angst there, and they can, we can very quickly move God out of the way and say, thank you very much, I'll take it from here. You know, that guy who knows that he needs to be a spiritual leader for his home, and so he shows up to lead his wife spiritually, and he kind of moves God out of the way. All right, honey, I'm going to preach you a sermon, and you need to repent. You're a mess. And it says right here in the Bible. And God's like, oh, 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 no, 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 no. Oh, that's not what I mean. No, you got to start that. You got to go to her and say, honey, I'm a mess and I'm sorry. No, 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 God, I got this. I got this. And that's what happens sometimes. That's what happens a lot of times. Or, or God says, hey, I want you to go to the people of, of this tribe in Africa or South America. Okay, great. You know, I, I'm leaving everything. I'm on, a, I'm on an airplane. No, 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 no. You, you, you need to sell your house. You need to, you need to take care of your debts. You, you, you need to get prepared for that. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, no, no, no. I, yeah, I'm putting that vision, but you, you got to be patient with that. You got to be patient with my wisdom and my love and my timeline. And what happens with Moses? He moves God out of the way. Look what it says. Verse 12, looking this way and that way and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian 
and hid him in the sand. Ooh. Moses just took over God's vision for his life. I wonder if that's where some of you might be today. Taking over the vision. Thank you very much, God. I'll, I'll take it from here. Moses knew that he was to set the people of Israel free, but in that moment, he was not ready to go. That moment was not the time, and that act was not the way God wanted it done. And I think we can make a train wreck of the vision that God has given us. We can delay it. We can put walls up when we do not humble ourselves and we do not allow God to move us forward in that vision. And as a result, what happens? When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. I wonder if you can get that image for a second of this guy who has this very clear calling from God to lead, a very clear calling from God to, to, to be a rescuer of the people. He moves God out of the way. He kills someone, buries their body in the sand, and then realizes what he's done. And he's sitting there in that moment thinking, I just put the vision to death. I just delayed this vision. I just put a huge wall up in this vision. I wonder if you've been there before. I wonder if you've wrestled with those Midian well moments. Listen, there is not a day that goes by in this church. There's not a year that goes by in this church that I don't have those Midian well moments where I made calls out of pride, out of impatience, where I hurt people, where I didn't have the right intuition as a leader to to carefully navigate a situation or a decision. And as a result, man, there were bodies in the sand. (laughs) And maybe that's where you are in your leadership of yourself, in your leadership of your your home, in your leadership of the people that God has put you in influence with. And you're sitting there at that well and you're wondering, God, what do I do now? What do I do now? You're at that well in Midian and you're wondering, where does this thing go from here? Someone asked me um, a few months ago, they said, what's the, what's the toughest thing, the biggest challenge about being a pastor? And he was a guy that was getting ready to uh, to, to go into pastoral leadership. And I looked at him and I said, the biggest challenge in being a pastor is the man in the mirror. It's the man in the mirror. And you know, I, I think that's the challenge of our humanity. That's the biggest thing that keeps us from fulfilling supernaturally the, the vision and the dream that God has put in our life is if we can get that man or woman that we look at in the mirror every day to humble himself or herself before God, to move the pride out of the way and let God just move us along. If we can do that, 
man, the supernatural vision of God will be far greater than we ever could imagine. It will blow our minds what God will do. But you know, Jesus says it best. In the Gospel of John, verse, chapter 12, verse 24, he says, Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Isn't that, isn't that what this is about? I mean, isn't that the gospel? That we have to get to a point in our life that when we sit by that well and we look at the, the things that we have buried in the sand, that we go to that moment where Christ says, listen, in order for you to have life, in order for this vision to have rebirth and, and, and multiply in ways that you could never imagine, you have got to die to some things in your life. There are some sin cycles. There are some flaws. There are some cracks There are some things in your life, maybe it's pride, maybe it's impatience, but it is causing you to stall. It is causing you to not ripen as a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, that, that that is a thing I have to face season after season as a leader. God brings these things to my life and he says, this has got to die in you. This has got to go. If you want to see this church continue to have greater influence in this community, you got to let this thing die. You have got to deal with this issue in your life, in your leadership, in your heart, in your mind. Or this thing stalls. This thing delays. And I'm going to say this to all of us. There is something there in the Midian well moment of your life that God is saying to you has got to die. It's got to go. It's got to go. Maybe it's a secret life. You know, you're carrying around duplicity. You're carrying around a double-mindedness. Maybe, maybe it's, a, it's a habit that, that, that continues to, and it's growing into an addiction. Maybe it's just a pride. You don't want... You don't want anybody to believe that you have anything wrong with you. You won't want anybody to believe that you, you've got any issues. And so you're just constantly like that seed that's fallen to the ground saying, no, 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 no. I'm going to hang on to this. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And what, is, <laughs> what does Jesus say? Listen, if you don't die, this doesn't multiply. If you husbands don't die to that pride that you keep, hitting against in your marriage and just go own it before your wife and just go say, I have not led you with courage and humility. I have got to own that. And we, we can go forward. I know, I know you want her to own her stuff. I, I know you want, you want to get out your list but that's not what this is about. This is about you dying. This is about you saying, I have these things that God has pointed out in my life through his word, through his spirit, through trusted wise voices in our life. Men, you have got to have a circle of men in your life that you love and you trust and are safe 
that they can look you in the eye and they can look you in the, in the face and they can say, I love you enough to say, this thing here has got to die or you're going to keep hitting this wall in your marriage. You're going to keep hitting this wall in your leadership. You're going to keep hitting this wall in the vision that God has put in your life. And you don't push those guys away. You bring those guys closer and you thank them because they just saved the vision. They just saved the dream and God used them. I've asked our band to come and I just want to turn this into a, a moment where you, you as a, a follower of Christ or maybe even somebody who's ready to take that step to be a follower of Christ can embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ right here and right now. Where you as maybe a husband who you've been, you know, you've been choosing pride and impatience to lead your family because there's a part of you that just wants to believe you can do it on your own. There's a part of you that just wants to say, you know, I've got this, God. Thank you for the vision, but I'll, I'll take care of it myself. And maybe today is the day where you go before God and you go before your family and you just own it. You just own it. Maybe you go before your friends who you've hurt or, or, or maybe they had expectations and you, you, didn't, you didn't live up to them and you know it. Maybe you made commitments and, and you, you, didn't, you didn't follow through with them. Maybe you have things in your heart that just need to die and they need to be given over to God. And it is Jesus Christ on a cross and in an empty tomb that enables that to happen today. There's a, a girl here right now who's wrestling with, with her image and She's wrestling with insecurity. Maybe diving into unhealthy relationships or unhealthy friendships. I, I, maybe the days where you just own that and you just give it to God right now. I wanna, I wanna say this. Um, our church is gonna ask for help. And we're gonna, we're gonna ask people from the outside to come in and kind of look at our structure and look at my leadership and, and you know that's good and we need to do those things and those are important but none of that replaces the heart and the message of the gospel and that is people willing to look at themselves in the mirror hear what needs to be said and change what needs to be changed I want to give you that opportunity right now would you bow your heads I just want you right now, as we, as we prepare to sing, I just want you to confess. Just ask God right here in this moment, God, what is it in my life right now that's keeping the vision back, that's keeping the dream back? What is it right now that's causing friendships in my life to get strained? And then just confess those to God. As you do that, I want to say to those of you who, who are ready in this moment to give your life to Christ, just believe in this moment that Jesus is who he says he is. And say that to your heavenly father and accept his forgiveness. Confess your sins and 
and receive his forgiveness. Take ownership of that and say, God, I'm sorry. I want your change. I want your transformation. When you're ready to sing, just stand and sing this song of thanksgiving 